Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Hello there, my friend, and welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, Brad Wilson, founder of poker training site EnhanceYourEdge.com, and I am super thrilled to have you with me here today. On today's show, I'm speaking with Robbie Straczynski, founder of Card Player Lifestyle. Although he's not a professional poker player, Robbie describes himself as a very serious recreational player. He works hard to learn and improve his own game while keeping up with some of the world's top poker talent. Robbie's made immeasurable contributions to the game through his own blog, CardPlayerLifestyle.com, as well as other media since he got started around 2009. He's a well-respected member of the community, admired by both the players and the fans. Robbie knows and is known by many people in the poker world. He's interviewed some of the greats in the game like Daniel Negreanu, Phil Helmuth, and Phil Ivey. Card Player Lifestyle is considered to be one of the top poker entertainment websites on the internet. Robbie himself is the main writer and also acts as editor for all of the contributed content that he publishes. The site delivers in-depth interviews with some of the most well-known industry faces, exciting news about happenings and events, must-read strategy articles, and, of course, all kinds of things about the poker lifestyle. In today's episode, you'll get Robbie's insights on what it means to reach the levels of high achievement at poker or anything else, the players he considers to be truly great, and why. He speaks on the benefits of keeping the brain active by playing poker, as well as other ways that the game can benefit you when you're away from the table. He tells a story about how he was pretty much forced to learn to stop thinking about the money and just play the game as he tells an amazing comeback story that starts with him basically losing all of the money that he took with him to Las Vegas. He also relates two brilliant and quite personal stories, one about Daniel Negreanu and another about Phil Helmuth, that will show you exactly why you shouldn't always believe everything you see on TV. Robbie also has some very interesting ideas about what kind of advice he would share with himself if he could go back in time and set his 20-year-old self up on a different path. I don't want to give too much away here, so maybe we should just get right into it and you can hear it all for yourself. And so, my loyal listeners, without any further ado, Robbie Straczynski. Robbie, what's happening, my man? How you doing? Hey, nice to meet you, Brad. Finally, all that uh, virtual talk back and forth. Great to put a face and a voice with the name. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Same goes for me. Uh, super pumped to have you on the show. Interested in hearing your story. I know the audience is going to love it. I hope so. <laughs> so let's start out by just telling the audience how you got started playing cards. How did you get in this niche? Uh, I started playing cards when I was about eight years old. Uh, my dad taught me. Um, you know, he always loved playing cards and he loved playing poker specifically. Um, you know, it's, uh, this is a, you know, a much more innocent time, I guess. Um, you know, I had one of those little video poker machines, you know, draw poker, that sort of thing. Um, you know, anytime I could get my hands on like, you know, a Nintendo or Game Boy, like a Caesar's Palace game where I could do the gambling type of stuff. I always had like a, a penchant. I always liked that sort of thing. We lived in LA growing up and, uh, you know, it's four and a half, four hour drive to Las Vegas. And this was, you know, mid nineties, early nineties when that was the family vacation capital of America, of the universe. And, uh, you know, my parents, they said we'd go for the weekends four or five times a year. We'd go play in the arcades. My mom would go play slots. My dad would go play poker. And, you know, we would just play, you know, 25 cents, you know, amongst ourselves, myself, my brothers, um, you know, five card draw. And then my dad taught me stud, all that sort of stuff. So, he originally told me when I was eight, taught me when I was eight years old, we used to just play for fun, no stakes or anything like that. 
but I was always drawn to it. I loved it. You know, a little kid, put a little kid in Las Vegas, you know, a little <laughs> pure Vegas before the whole corporate stuff uh, kind of went in. And it really was, you know, a playground. And I loved it. And my dad used to come back and say, hey, look, and he opened his wallet, a bunch of hundred dollar bills. I learned later that it wasn't always wins. Sometimes it was an ATM. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I was like, oh, this poker thing is so cool. I love it. And, uh, and that, that's how I got into it. Um, Industry-wise was significantly later, you could say like product of the moneymaker boom that, you know, like a lot of people out there um, in terms of me starting to play in my own home game with my buddies and, you know, fast forward just a little bit because, you know, sort of busy having a life, getting married and, you know, kids, all that sort of stuff. But uh, in 2009, so uh, really almost 10 years ago, I just, you know, on a whim with a buddy of mine started this blog called cardplayerlifestyle.com. We liked the name. It wasn't taken. The domain was free. And he was like, well, I know webmastering and you know how to, uh, how to write and you know how you know about <laughs> poker. So let's just put it out there. This was, you know, a lot of blogs were going out there at the time. You know, I, I, I don't want to get into the whole story just yet. And you may have some questions about it, but that's sort of how I, you know, I dipped my toe into what, you know, what you call the poker industry and the, the poker world beyond just sort of little home games, uh, you know, for the first time. I, I certainly do have questions. And I want to say, too, sure. that the 90s, going to Vegas for the family vacation a pure version. It was at least post mafia version, right? <laughs> so- yes, it was very sanitized. We used to get a lot of like, you know, uh, brochures in the mail, like, you know, come to the Mirage, come to Treasure Island. And my parents played, you know, so they'd come to stay, you know, they're very happy to just get you there. And then, you know, and they treated you a lot more nicely. It was much easier to get these comps, comp breakfast, comp this, and just to make sure you were there. And it was just a really affordable, cheap family vacation destination. You know, Circus Circus was in its heyday. They had the brand new Adventure Dome at the time. You know, the Treasure Island was you know much more about pirates rather than the sirens. You know, so, so uh, a very different time. And, and you know, I gotta say, like the those who did that, I don't know if it's the same people doing the marketing today um, or you know their successors, but. The people who are going today and spending all the money at the clubs and at the pools and all that other sort of stuff, it's the same. It's, it's me and you. It's the kids who were growing up in the 90s and got used to this idea of going to Vegas. So, you know, we just grew up a little. Dare I say, you know, you heard it here first, maybe 10 years from now, something like that, when all of us grow up a little bit more and have our own kids, maybe we'll see the uh, marketing message change once again for Las Vegas. We'll see. Yeah, it, it seems to be something that changes every every few decades or so. Yeah, right now, they got to reinvent got the, themselves, sure. Yeah, we got the DJs and all the club atmosphere and all that sort Pakistan, of thing. right? Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> Which is not me, by the way. <laughs> none of, none of those things apply to me. I've never been to a club in my life, oh, believe it or I, not. Unfortunately, I have. And uh-huh. <laughs> in my opinion, you're not missing very much. Uh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not a club goer. Uh, right. I'm not a big drinker. And the heat crushes me. So oh. Vegas, I haven't spent a ton of time in Vegas personally. Um, I'm, I'm an L.A. person. You grew up in the right place for poker rooms. Yes. I love L.A. Absolutely. That's great. And also, you know, weather-wise, it's also perfect as well. Um, that's yes. one thing. And I, I live in, in Israel now for the last, you know, 21 years. So I left, you know, when I was 16. So I never, you know, if I was still living there, I'd be like, oh, it's the poker capital of the world, even more so than Las Vegas to an extent. So I sort of missed out on that. I was never a grown up in LA, but, you know, hearing stories from my dad, he said, oh yeah, I used to, you know, get off work, you know, and or or finish work and just go for a couple hours to the bike or to commerce. And it's like, oh, that sounds like I'm romanticizing it, but it really was just cool. That was, you know, the place to play. And, you know, I say, well, that's one of the, one of the things I kind of miss or regret that I don't live there, but you know, happy where I am. Yeah, it's I do love it for poker, but mm-hmm. definitely other places to live <laughs> that that are yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, so um, the name of the podcast is Chasing Poker Greatness, which mm. to me is it can be an abstract greatness can be an abstract word. So I would like to ask you, what does poker greatness mean to you? I think just sort of like it can be compared to any other sort of pursuit, uh, you know, whether it's an athletic pursuit, tennis, golf, like an individual pursuit of that nature, or, you know, being a musician or you know, any of the arts, so to speak, or even just being a great chess player. It's something that 
you sort of realize, you know, for a mind sport, whatever it is, or even, you know, an athletic sport that requires, you know, physical training and stuff, the single minded, dedicated focus to being the absolute best first and foremost that you can be. And then, you know, if there's competition in that, you know, direct competition, you obviously have got to beat your competitors. Uh, you know, I, I always think of, um, you know, the Kobe Bryant example of, you know, he didn't just rely on his God-given talents. He also went to the gym at three, four, five in the morning. And he had his people, his team, his, you know, the Lakers, whatever, they made tapes for him in advance of the opponents so that he could individually scout what their tendencies were. Like that was the extent that this man was, you know, plenty of money and, you know, had all the fans, had everything, but he was still till his last game, you know, possessed. Exactly. Obsessed, possessed, and, you know, just driven to be the absolute, you know, to, to make them squeeze every ounce of everything out of his body, out of his brain and, and out of his teammates and, and, you know, just, just to, to be the best. So, um, you know, again, what, what the, the phrase he used in the question was, you know, chasing greatness. I think, you know, that's what it means. It's never, ever, ever resting on your laurels and always striving to improve, even if you're already number one, you know, it's, you know, I wouldn't say looking over your shoulder necessarily, but saying, okay, how do I even get better? How do I, you know, for poker, how do I examine my play and what mistakes did I make? And, you know, okay, even if I played perfectly, did I maximize? Could I have made even more money? And, you know, what are the newest theories and how, you know, so all that sort of stuff. I think those are the essential ingredients uh, of what it means to chase greatness. That is a great answer, sir. And you've given me a softball here. Oh, sure. Instead of Kobe Bryant, when you think of (laughs) uh, greatness in a poker player, who's the first person that comes to mind? Well, the sentimental choice is Chip Reese, but I I was never exposed to him in a blessed memory. Uh, I was never exposed to him personally. I didn't know him, but it's all from what I've heard from people secondhand, both players as well as other uh, media that I've read about him. And what they always said is that his his B game, his C game, his D game was the same as his A game. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's possible to define greatness more than that. And it's like he knew when he wasn't running well, he knew he's not going to tilt. He'll never get, you know, he'll never just sort of stay there and try to dig himself out of the hole. He'll just get up and leave. And sometimes people didn't, didn't even notice he was gone. So that is part of it. And also part of the reason I would choose him is because he was a master at every single poker discipline. Uh, and I think this sort of branches a little bit into a different topic, you know, like who's the greatest poker player, whatever it is. But so many people all look at the, you know, the, the GTO wizards and I respect them and they do tremendous stuff and they're playing nosebleeds, high stakes, everything, but they're only playing Texas Hold'em. There are, so there are dozens of versions and variants of poker and to, in my opinion, you know, not everyone's opinion, in my opinion, to be considered even in the conversation of the greatest, you have to be a master at all different variants of the game, you know, not just Hold'em, not just Short Deck, not just PLO. So, you know, that that's the first, uh, you know, that, you know he's, he's no longer with us, but that's who I would choose immediately oh, to put me on the spot for who's still active, alive, and, and doing that sort of thing. Uh, you know, again, I, I kind of want to say Phil Ivey for the same reasons, you know, maybe he doesn't have the, the 50 K bracelet or anything like that, but I still do think that there's that Ivy mystique, you know, even at Texas Hold'em at the 25 K and up by in tournament levels, certainly in the cash games. And again, they're not playing Badoogie, Badesi, uh, seven stud with him. He can, he's still, you know, a master at those games and so many of his contemporaries and still even newer players today, you know, they're saying, well, you know, he's still the man. Um, so I think that's the best answer I could give you the most educated uh, answer based on everything that I've read and, and, and people that I've spoken with. Well, I, I think not just you, but you know, Doyle's word carries a lot of weight with me, Doyle's opinion. And he said a lot of the same things about Chip Reese. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the 50K horse is named after Chip Reese mm-hmm. uh, in his memory. Yes. Um, the, all the players seem to respect him, especially the, the high stakes players. And mm-hmm. that goes a long way as well. So it's very hard to 
very hard to make a counter argument uh, to yes. this too. And, and Phil Ivey, of course, is just a beast and it feels like he's been around forever, beasting mm-hmm. it up, playing all the games. Sure. And, uh, and I, I believe the story was, you know, when Chip Reese first saw Phil Ivey playing, he's, you know, whispered in Doyle's ear, you know, watch that guy. He's going to be great someday. Or so it was almost like a, a virtual passing of the torch, <laughs> as it were. I will mention one thing, and it's important, uh, you know, you did mention Doyle Brunson. You know, he's also in the conversation for the same reasons, but also one additional reason is, you know, he's been doing this since his 20s and he's in his mid 80s and still doing it. Um, you know, it's one of those criteria to be a member inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame is the, um, oh, what do they call it? The um, longevity. The, the longevity, um, playing against the highest stakes competition for, you know, a, a, just a really super duper long time. You know, like the Babe Ruth style of like, he just, he just did it for his entire career until his last out, you know. So there is, of course, something to be said. You know, he's, he would also admit he's not the player he was necessarily in his 30s and 40s, but half a step slower, a step slower. You know, he's, he could still beat the pants off you and me, I imagine, in, in any mixed game, any high stakes. So, uh, you know, he, he certainly merits a mention as well. And shockingly, I know this is going to shock you. You're not the first person to mention Doyle and his long, his <laughs> longevity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it does mean a lot. And apparently poker players age much better than uh, other activities. <laughs> Doyle sure. is successful in his 80s. Gonna Hard to find some uh, NFL quarterbacks that are successful in their 80s. True. Um, throwing, chunking around the pigskin. Well, I mean, it's, it is a, a mind sport at the end of the day. And, and I, you know, I, I think even studies have been done that, you know, continuing to play poker or, or just the game itself, it activates parts of the brain. It, it prevents uh, Alzheimer's, you know, or that, or that sort of a thing. And when you're just doing it day in and day out and you're so used to doing it, you know, imagine like the, the equivalent physically speaking would be just, you know, running every single day. And when your body's so used to doing that sort of thing, it's almost second nature, you know, he thankfully is, you know, continues to be well of sound mind and, you know, your body may betray you, but if your mind doesn't, then, you know, there's no reason uh, why you can't continue to play at, you know, at your optimal level. Right. And there's also a lot of study on reading as well. It's activating the brain, keeping the brain yep. active and engaged. And mm-hmm. I would imagine poker with its problem solving and the analytical side uh, does some pretty good things to the brain. Yep. Um, tell me about a time in poker that you failed or that you felt super low about yourself as a player and what did you do what happened to overcome that well <laughs> as a player there's this one particular instance that uh comes to mind uh it was last year i was in las vegas it was for the world poker tour tournament of champions i was there to do media coverage and i'll just say you know for those who who may not know in the audience i'm not a professional player i'm a serious recreational player uh you know i'm not studying math charts or things like that but i take the game seriously i want to win and you know i i try to learn from play and, and from watching and all that other sort of stuff so you know when i wasn't you know, working, uh, I'm self-employed, so I'm not on the clock or anything. When I decided, okay, I've had enough work for the day, I went ahead and played. And, you know, for, I don't know, must have been four days in a row. And, you know, these were anywhere from six to eight hour sessions in the evenings. Every single session was a loser. And, you know, I was, I played, you know, there, one, two, no limit hold'em, you know, nothing super snazzy or anything like that. Even that, though, you know, it may sound funny, is slightly higher stakes than I normally play. I live in Israel, and we use a different currency called the shekel, and we normally play one, two shekels here. So it's about you know, a third of the value. Oh, so wow. it takes me that much longer to build up the bankroll. And again, I'm not playing every single day, so it's, you know, I'll get a game once a week in the home game. So it takes me that much longer. Um, so I don't feel intimidated or out of my league or anything, but just the stakes are higher than I'm used to. And, you know, my bankroll has to be adjusted accordingly. Four straight losing sessions, you know, a few hundred dollars each time ain't fun, uh, especially when you know how long it's taken you to earn those uh, many hundreds, uh, you know, a little you know, over a thousand bucks, that sort of thing. And it was the last day of the trip. And I found myself of like, well, you know, here I am 7,500 miles away from home in Israel. And like, I want to play, but I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't lose anymore. I've exhausted the bank part of the bankroll that I have uh, brought with me. 
And, you know, what I did is I just sort of like, you know, locked myself up in my room all day and worked, you know, it's just like the most pathetic sounding <laughs> thing. I was staying at the Westgate and like, you know, here the, the city of Las Vegas and all of its poker magnanimity and the World Series is starting and I'm not sitting and playing poker. I'm sitting and working in a hotel room and, you know, and my flight is, you know, early tomorrow morning. This just sucks. It's horrible. And, you know, that was really, you know, it wasn't like sitting curled in a ball by a fireplace or anything like that. But as a player, it certainly felt like a failure. And with all that I knew about, you know, there's short term variants and things like that, it's not a fun place to be. Um, and frankly, I just didn't know that I was willing to risk more of the bankroll, knowing that if I do lose, how would I feel? I tried to think in advance and, and be self conscious and, and aware of that reality. You know, it's never good to chase your losses. And it's hard for me to separate necessarily from one session to the next when, you know, one time fine, two times fine, but, you know, four, four in a row, it's, it's rough. So what happened is um, a friend of mine who lives in Las Vegas, uh, he was saying, hey, uh, the, the Golden Knights were playing. I think it was their, uh, it was the championship, uh, you know, it was game one or two or something like that. And he's like, you know, after the Golden Knights game, you want to go out for dinner? So I was like, you know what? That's exactly what I need. And it's a great excuse to, to uh, get out of the hotel room, stop working. I was like, oh, that, that's who I'll do, right? Okay, great. We sit and we're talking uh, in the restaurant. And, you know, he's like, how's it, how's it going, Robbie? I'm like, well, you know, you're a good enough friend. I can tell you the truth. He says, lay it on, buddy. And I told him everything that was going on. And, you know, he lives in Las Vegas. Uh, he's a professional player. And, uh, you know, he, he was kind of uh, definitely empathizing with what, what I was going through. And at the same time, you know, he's seen it all before, you know, he, he knows what it's like. And I was just so grateful to be there with him in that moment. Like you, you know, I'm alone when I'm, when I'm there working, you know, my family's very far away and um, it's just good to have a friend, especially one who understands everything about poker in a situation like that. And he's like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the Bellagio after this. I'm like, the Bellagio? Are you kidding me? I'm scared. I'm scared. I mean, that's where all the pros are. He said, Robbie, one, two, one, three is the same one, two, one, three, wherever you're playing it. You just, it's in the Bellagio. Okay, fine. I'll play my game. You play your game. I'll stake you. Pretend the money's gone and just play. If it goes, okay, no big deal. It's fine. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, Wow. Like it was, a, it was almost a turning point. I'm changing, you know, I'm going a little longer into your question than, than perhaps you had anticipated. But, you know, that failure, here's, you know, a glimmer of low, not, not like a degen of like, okay, I need to got to get in action, that sort of thing. But like, hey, someone believes in me after everything I said, he's given me a tip and, you know, he doesn't care about the money. He's telling me I shouldn't care about the money, just focus on the game. And okay, let's give it a shot. He gave me $500. And, you know, I said, okay, I'll, you know, split it into two, 250s just in case. And um, I took the two, first 250 and within an hour it was gone. Just, you know, <laughs> second nut flush to the nut flush, you know, on the fly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, okay, what do I do now? And I went up, I went to him, he's playing this game. And I said, you should take this back. He says, I gave you the money. I... For, to me, I lost 500 already. You go and you just hit it. Do yeah. your best. I'm telling you, Brad, I got down to $22. <laughs> That's all I had left. Uh-huh. And then variance shifted. At that moment, I was like, okay, I'm all in. And I'm, I'm literally, you know, the typical pack up your bag, get ready to go. It wasn't meant to be. This was, you know, after another hour. So two, two and a half hours into the session, I'm down to the 22 out of $500. Doubled up. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Sit back down, control yourself, manage to double up again a couple of hands later. I'm like, wait a minute. I got 88 bucks, 86 bucks. Let's play poker. I worked that thing back to $503. Okay. <laughs> over the next couple hours, I could do no wrong. I wasn't playing differently, mind you. And it's just this incredible adrenaline rush. I paused. I, I walked away from the table and I'm just like beaming. I'm like, this is the most incredible. I've never had anything like this happen before. Like just the rush of being so low and being uplifted so suddenly, but you're not doing anything different. It's really just the variance and the cards that are changing. And all of a sudden you feel unstoppable again. And I was like, I think I should stop. He says, are you kidding me? Your flight's in the morning, buddy. You play all night. You run this rush. 
as long as it takes until you're tired and you can't play anymore. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, I told you already, the $500 for me is gone. I kept playing. I ran it up all the way to $807, another you know, couple hours later. And I was like, okay, my flight's in three hours. I got to go pack up. And yeah, I, you know, I gave him back his $500. He says, no, 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 50-50. And we split everything. It was just really, really nice, you know? And um, I mean, it's, it's a, I, I love that story because it shows that, to me at least, that sometimes failure happens for a reason. You know, again, other times, sure, I'll lose the 500, but that one really gave me faith because, you know, lows will happen. Failures certainly will happen, whether it's as a player or in other areas of life. But you really have to realize that sometimes those failures do happen for a reason and you could really learn lessons from it. And I don't want to say embrace the failure because you don't want it to happen, but should it, then you should sort of welcome it and say, okay, don't get down on yourself. How could you learn from this? What could you do about it? Maybe something good will come of it. So there you go. That's my uh, failure story, I guess, as a player. I love that story. There's so many things to unpack for me, a couple of things. Number one, the first thing is how valuable relationships, community, Mm. and friendship friendships are as as a poker player people that will pick you up when you're down people that will give you confidence when you're lacking confidence i think that is it's huge those are two of the very most important things that every player no matter recreational professional at every level you need those people to help you and plus you know we talked a little before we started the show about and me living at Commerce, playing high stakes poker 60 hours a week. And I do have some fond memories of giant winning days and winning Mm -hmm. massive pots. Most of my memories revolve around my friends going to play Mm -hmm. basketball at Commerce, going to UCLA to play ball, uh, meeting up with with them, going to eat Korean barbecue, all of these different things, the fellowship. And those friendships were 100% the most valuable thing that that I earned in my time in LA. So for those of you out there that are missing those relationships, I highly suggest take some actions towards, you know, beginning them. Put yourself out there. Uh, the world, as they say, is full of lonely people waiting to make the mm-hmm. first move. Make the first move. I think that just. There's untold value in it from just a life perspective and a poker perspective as well. Best ROI you'll ever get from an investment, that's for sure. For sure. And the second thing I want to unpack too is uh, all those emotions that you dealt with. <laughs> those that's those are the things that Chip Reese was able to keep keep in control, right? That whole emotional <laughs> roller coaster, feeling yeah. horrible about yourself, and then feeling oh, on yeah. top of the world, feeling like a <laughs> a loser when you're stuck, and feeling like a, a giant winner, an invincible monster when mm-hmm. you're crushing it. I think that those are the things that he he was able to dial back. You know that that's part of his greatness and. A very integral and those are traits to emulate. And, and, and I will say it's a, a, a book that I read a long time ago and it still, you know, stands the test. Oh, that's what it is. stands the test of time. That's what yeah. the other criteria for Hall of Fame. But a book ah. that certainly does that is The uh, Mental Game of Poker by Jared Tendler. And he talks about this concept of inchworm and basically the idea of like every new thing that you learn, it's hard the first time, but then it becomes second nature and you move on to the next hard thing to learn. That lesson, learning at that time, and I feel like that inchworm was moving forward for me, and it's that much easier for me next time to hopefully, you know, hopefully it shouldn't happen, but when it happens, uh, to control those emotions. Uh, and Chip Reese, you know, he, like you said, he mastered that as well. Ex- exposure is a big part of the process. You, mm. How can you control your emotions if you never, like how can you control your anger if you never experience anger? How can you, how can you deal with these emotions if you never experience them? And yep. the, you know, the first time you play, you sit down at a live table, uh, at least in my experience, your heart is pounding out of your chest. You're, you're nervous, <laughs> you're shaking, you're scared. It's an, it's a, it's a, an environment that's different, you know, than yeah. what you're used to. And you just keep exposing yourself to that environment. It gets more comfortable. And then, you know, all of a sudden I feel very comfortable walking into any poker room in the world grabbing my buy-in, sitting down and playing cards with people. Um, You just, you have to expose yourself to these sort of things. What is up, you future star of poker, you? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC Poker. 
If you're sitting there wondering, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table, which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I've tried almost all the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, I've come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find amazing success against seemingly weak competition, and in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What the heck was going on? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub, wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed a level playing field to return to my crushing weights. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play poker somewhere. And I wanna be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no brainer. I love my community and I wanna put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to enhanceyouredge.com PKC and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash PKC. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. And so I heard, I heard through the grapevine that you being in the media side of card playing and reporting and all these sorts of things, that uh, you have a story about one Daniel Negreanu. Could we? <laughs> yeah. Could I you expand you a little bit. That. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it was... Um... It's a it's a personal story, actually. Um, it, it's not necessarily to do with poker at the tables, but something that he did for me. He basically convinced me that pursuing this dream of doing what you know of, of this poker media career was possible, and I how, how did didn't he do believe that? it. Um, well, he was going, you know, he's made very famous, you know, over time, he went to this choice center, uh, you know, and enrolled then and, and learned a lot from it. And part of his process of learning was life coaching and, uh, or learning how to be a life coach. And, um, I, uh, you know, I asked him at the time, I was like, well, what is it, what, what does that mean to coach somebody? And, you know, just like from a, you know, a chat that we were having with digital on, on Facebook messenger and stuff. And, uh, He's like, okay, I'll show you. And then he started sort of guiding me through this process of like, you know, what worries you? What's your anxieties? That sort of thing. And at the time, uh, this is, I guess, 2015 or 16 or so, something like that. And I said, well, there, you know, what I would really love to do is, you know, go on a couple few trips each year and be in this poker. I mean, Israel is like an island when it comes to poker. There's no poker rooms here. You can't play online. There's nothing. You know, that's one of the hardest I love living here, but it's one of the hardest things about living here is that the poker, everything is so far away. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, you just get in your car and you can drive two hours or three hours or seven hours. There's, there's nothing here. Right. Um, and this idea of me being involved and being ensconced in this poker industry seemed impossible to me just for logistical reasons and for, well, how would I make a living? How could, how, who would employ me if I don't live there? Like that sort of a thing. Over a period of, and I'm not exaggerating, Brad, over two hours of just chatting back and forth on Messenger. You know, this is Daniel Negreanu. He's got a lot better things to do with his time. Um, I wouldn't say was... that. I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> like, I, no, 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 I'm not. This is no. I think that helping people, 
when they're mm-hmm. struggling in life is one of the most valuable things that we can do. And in the instance of Daniel Negreanu there, he has an opportunity to help somebody out and uh, serve serve someone else. And I think that's very, very valuable. So I wouldn't, oh, I, I wouldn't with minimize. With that, I agree. I don't yeah. know about wasting time on me, though. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> come on. We got, we got to get kill this negative self-talk. Oh, no, no, just self-deprecating. That's all. Yeah. Uh, that's, isn't that what I said? <laughs> I'm one of the most you said, positive guys you'll find you said, in poker. No, no. Sure. It's not negative self-talk. It's, it's self-deprecating. Well, there you go. <laughs> is it the same? Right. Well, it was like 10 in the morning or something, and that means midnight in Las Vegas. Yeah. And that's when we started the conversation. Right. And what I mean is, like, you know, he's got a lot going on. And for him to stop everything and, you know, make me the center of his, you know, two hours and quite literally not not answer all my questions at the end. You know, I have to answer these questions for myself, but legitimately and, and very, very really make me believe that the dreams that I really wanted, my dream life was possible. That was what I still consider today the, the launching point of me working towards becoming independent, self-employed and, and doing what I'm doing today full time. You know, I had it all going on the side and, you know, I had the desire, the passion, the enthusiasm, but I didn't know if I could put that together. And he convinced me it was possible and I have him to thank for it. So Uh, that's, that is an awesome story. And I have no personal communication with Daniel Negreanu. I've always watched Mm -hmm. from afar. I got into poker, you know, 15 years ago and he's had his Mm -hmm. blog and he's been big since then. So I have, I have read his stuff. I followed him. I've always liked him and been a fan of him, mm-hmm. but uh, that's very personal. That, that's an awesome story. And, and I, would, yeah. I, would, I would say too, as somebody who's dished out my fair share of solicited and unsolicited life advice <laughs> to people, I would say that taking action and moving forward based on him helping you is also mm-hmm. a rare thing. And I think that says a lot about you as a person. Lots of people want feedback and they get it and they never take action. They just mm. fall asleep at the wheel, which is kind of a waste of time. Um, mm. So I would say that it's likely that Daniel Negreanu also sensed that you were an action taker. You're somebody that was worthy of investing those two hours in. And think about it. He spent two hours talking to you that one night. Look at what you've done for the poker community, the poker world over the ensuing years. So that time was actually very, very well spent um, in my mind. Thanks for saying that, Ben. I, I really do appreciate that. And, you know, I, I, I used to not tell too many people that story. I used to, you know, do it privately, but, you know, I, you know, it's something in Hebrew, you know, you, it's something called hakarata tov is, is recognizing and, and being grateful for a kindness that someone has done to you and giving, you know, giving very, very due credit where it's due. You know, you said the importance of having friends. I do, I do believe I can consider him a friend and, and he's just a, a wonderful person and the fact that it was him, you know, saying that it's not pie in the sky, it's not, you know, my brother or a friend from high school or something right. like that, someone who I know, a friend who doesn't know poker. This is someone who's been there, done that, gone broke, you know, done everything there is to do in poker. Uh, and I, you know, he knew I didn't want to become a pro, pro player or anything, but just pursue that sort of dream. And for him to basically say, well, I believe you could do it. Now it's up for you to believe that you could do it. It was a huge boost in confidence. And, uh, you know, till today, it still motivates me when I'm down once in a while. I was like, well, you know, other people think that I can do this sort of thing. I'm going to keep on plowing forward. So um, That's thanks true. for saying what you said. I appreciate it. My pleasure, my man. And there is some, you know, the word of Daniel Negreanu does probably uh, carry more weight than the word of Brad Wilson. Too. So let's, let's just put that out there on record on my show. He's uh, a good guy. He does a lot of things behind the scenes that I'll admit people that. are not aware of and just, you know, more power to him. And, you know, really, he's, he's a force for good in general in the world. Okay, let's go from force to good. Let's segue. You also have a story about Phil Helmuth. <laughs> I don't yes, know. I have I no idea where this is going to go. Um <laughs> Whether it's force of good or force of evil or force of whatever, but let's let's hear this story as well. I'm I'm very curious. Okay, so um, this one has more to do directly with poker, and you know, let, let's you know use exactly what you said. He's uh, somewhat of a polarizing figure. Someone would some would say, and you know, for all you guys out there who've watched all the videos on YouTube and watched the World Series, you know, his nickname is the Poker Brat for good reason. 
with all of that, that persona, that larger than life uh, persona that he is, the man is very, very, very much a class act, a, a tremendous human being. And, and I'll illustrate with, with this particular story. I was given the chance to interview him, uh, what, you know, just ahead of the release of the Poker Brett book, uh, the publishers, D&B Poker, uh, shout out to them, actually just, uh, uh, just released an article about their story, the D&B Poker, just listen aside. Uh, so Dan and Byron, they reached out to me and said, hey, Robbie, you know, we've got this book coming out. Would you like to interview Phil Helmuth? And I was like, well, yeah, that'd be amazing. He says, okay, we'll put him in touch with you via email. And like right away, I start getting to work. And, you know, this guy had been interviewed, you know, interviewed hundreds of times. How do I interview this guy and make it new, refreshing, interesting to him? You know, I don't want it to seem that just that he's doing me a favor. I want to try to honor him and, you know, produce something good that he enjoys working on. So I spent, you know, a really long time, probably, you know, a good week, you know, listening to all the podcasts and watching the interviews and reading everything I could, coming together with a good script, prepared like, you know, way too many questions. I'd be like, whatever I can get from him, I'll get. Sent in the email. And within three days, every single question was answered. And these were not one word answers, Brad. These were just like, I mean, I have it up in an interview with Phil Helmuth on cardplayerlifestyle.com. You could read it. These are lengthy answers. He sent me pictures. He sent me everything to make this an outstanding interview piece of content. And he did it. You know, he was like, I'll get to it soon. Don't worry. And, you know, he wasn't BSing. Like, he was just, he cared. And it was just so awesome to see that side. I didn't know who he was. You know, like, it was just like, wow, I, I got to meet Phil this way. Amazing, right? Great. We published the article, and a couple months later, some you know for there for the World Series of Poker, and you know the, at the DNB booth, you know with all the books. So he's doing the autograph session. So I'm standing in line, and I want to go ahead and you know buy a book and get get an autograph. So I said, "Hi, Phil, Robbie Straczynski." He goes, "Robbie Straczynski." He stands up, he shakes my hand, he says, "We're giving this guy a book for free." He says, and he starts autograph. I'm like, "Wow, he remembered." <laughs> it's like I'm 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 legitimately thrilled. It's amazing, and it was just a really cool thrill as a fan. Someone, you know, I'm a fan just like anyone else, and you know, he says, "I, I like your style, I like your interview style." It's like, wow, that you know, he didn't just it wasn't just another interview for him. It just you know, he made me feel like the center of his world again. Also, very very cool thing. Great. Okay. That you think the story may end there. And here's where the aha comes (laughs) this summer. So this is now two years after the fact that, you know, that we've done the interview. It's not like, you know, we became buddy, buddy, or we're in close touch or anything, but you know, I I guess maybe he knew who I was, whatever it may be. So um, this summer I played for the first time in my first bracelet event. And I wrote, you know, just before, you know, a couple of days before I played the $1,500 dealer's choice uh, at the world series. Uh, I wrote an article basically like trying to hype myself up Rocky style and like, you know, I'm going to get this. And really, like I, I was so emotional. Everything just sort of poured forth. It's time to play for the first time after all these years, you know, that my first bracelet event. I'm standing in the Rio hallways. You know, this is going to be a day before the event happens. And I'm on the phone out of the Amazon room, walks Phil Helmuth from the hallways weren't so crowded. And maybe he's, you know, 50, 60 feet away from me. He happens to, you know, catch my eye. He was going the other direction, but he walks over to me. I'm on the phone and I'm like, hold on, hold on one second. (laughs) So he goes, "Um, Robbie, I read your article. I think that's really, really cool that you're playing your first bracelet event. Good for you. Good luck. And I'm standing there like, (laughs) oh, did that, what? (laughs) <laughs> it's like the guy who performs in the coffee shop and then like, you know, Elvis Presley walks up to him and says, Oh, well, good for you. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. Like he could have recognized me and walked the other way. He keep all of those things to do something like that. And, and I say these things, not because it's a story about me and, and stuff that I've gone through, but I say this to illustrate what a, a kind you know, genuinely nice person Phil Helmuth is. And it's important to me, at least, to spread stories like that because what you see on camera is never, ever, ever the whole story. And unfortunately, sometimes only that bratty side of him comes out because he's just such a, a fierce competitor. But, you know, beneath that exterior, whatever you want to call it, the man is just, you know, a tremendously nice individual to, to have done that for me. And, and I, I very much, well, you don't bluff that. Like, what, what, what does he have to gain from doing something like that? You know, it's just a, an amazing gesture that I'll remember for the rest of my life. 
again, that is another <laughs> incredible story. And uh, I've heard a lot of good things about Phil Helmuth myself. I haven't um, had any direct interactions with the mm-hmm. man, but mm-hmm. all the stories that I've heard away from the poker table, genuinely good guy, that that illustrates the, the level of thoughtfulness that mm-hmm. he, he gave in answering all of your questions, the fact yeah. that he uh, remembered you, and also is a fan of card, <laughs> card player lifestyle, right? He's got to be. Uh, he's got to be on the show. Email. show. There's the plug. There's the plug. <laughs> There's the plug. It's card player lifestyle. <laughs> um, he's a fan. He reads the articles, or you know, he gets the emails, or something. Yeah, that's that's uh, an incredible story. Yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. <laughs> it's it's very very cool. I, I like, was, the first thing I did is I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, you're never gonna believe what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was halfway hoping that you know you played in the fifteen. A uh, hundred dollar dealer choice, and he threw some cards at you and yelled at you. But you know, <laughs> I'll accept the happy ending as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was good. Hopefully, one day we'll get to a stage where we get to play at the same table. Maybe heads up for a bracelet, and I'll be that guy who denies a number seventeen or sixteen or whatever it is. That would be a good story. Probably yeah. a good article on card player lifestyle. I would. Yeah, think. at least one. I'll tell you that. <laughs> At least one article. See how long you can drag this out. Let's <laughs> let's mm-hmm. make this story last like five or ten years. Yeah, sure. So if you were to gift the uh, Chasing Poker Greatness audience one book, what would it be and why? To gift the book to them? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I don't know if you purposely set it up like this. I happen to have a copy right here. So there's the book. It's called Pulling the Trigger. And yeah. That man is Elia Lezra, right? So this is the story of his autobiography. The reason I happen to have it is because if you turn it around, see, that's me. I translated the book from Hebrew ah, into English, right? Because he's that's, Israeli, right? He is Israeli, uh, you know, very proud Israeli. And uh, you know, he grew up here in Israel and then moved, chased uh, his dreams uh, in America and lives in Vegas for the last 30 years. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm biased. Like, what can I say? You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's not a strategy book. You know, like I, I like telling stories as you hear, as you know, all the audience hears, uh, I'm a storyteller and that's what I do on my site as well. This is just a great story. You know, it's the story of his, of his life and you know, how he you know, born in 1960 in Jerusalem prior to the six day war, you know, fought in the Golani brigade bravely, you know, got injured in battle, went to Alaska and, you know, to try and earn money on the fishing boats there. Some incredible stories there, found poker, fell in love with it, decided to pursue it at the expense of his business, found Las Vegas. It's just, it's an incredible story. Just, you know, I, I always said, wow, this ought to be a movie, that sort of a thing. It really is just an incredibly rich story with a lot of little cool stories that are poker related and not interspersed in between. Also, it's relatively new. It only came out in January in English. So, uh, you know, it's one that people are likely not to necessarily have read before. You can buy it on Amazon. But if I'm gifting it to you, I guess I'm gifting it to you. Um, <laughs> so, so that's what I would say. Uh, definitely not a strategy book. He does go through some of the, you know, more meaningful hands at his big, you know, WPT, the Mirage Poker Showdown in 2004 when he won, uh, and other hands that he played against some, you know, incredible players and legends in their own right. But it's much more, in my opinion, at least the book about, you know, the stories and his poker life, his poker career, the ups, the downs, and, and there were, you know, some tremendous ups and tremendous downs. Um, I think you'd find it very interesting. And, you know, as a storybook, uh, I think that's uh, the one to get for, for the time being. Yeah. Sir, I had no idea. I could not oh. see your could not see your desk. I don't know. Oh. You know? It, it, it was a softball. <laughs> <laughs> the people listening are like, I don't trust this question. No, at all. really. Like, I didn't know if you, <laughs> if you knew, but uh, well, I, I had it here to promote it at any point. But yeah. it worked out so well with your question. So thanks. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and mm. give your say twenty year old self some poker wisdom, what would it be? Start playing online poker now, because <laughs> that's seventeen years ago. That's, that's when true. the going was. That's when the going was really, really good. You know, if I could impart everything I know about poker to that twenty-year-old guy, I'd be doing a lot better financially. Well, as far as like <laughs> actions taking, right? It's more like a you know, there's a carbon copy version of yourself who's twenty mm-hmm. years old right now. What would you tell them? Uh, they're just starting their poker career. What advice mm-hmm. would you give, give them? What wisdom would you share? 
again as a player right as a player actually as a player and or a member of the community maybe not everybody in the audience has ambitions to be uh, mm. one of the best to ever play the game maybe their ambitions lie more on the editorial side maybe mm-hmm. it lies on the story side or, or some other facet of the game so okay just speak so, with your wisdom as a player um i would say get in as much experience as you can again i'm assuming that this is a 20 year old you know 17 years ago not you know in 2019 it's a much 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 steeper curve um, and I know, you know, I, I'm still true to myself. I know what I was like at 20. There's certain things I wouldn't necessarily be willing to do. I wouldn't, you know, get with solvers and start memorizing math charts and stuff. But knowing what I know now of how that was a golden age for so many people and so many people I know, contemporaries of mine are saying, you know, who aren't professionals at all, never were, but they said, oh, the going was so good at that point in time. You know, just from a purely financial standpoint, that was the best time to be playing, I think, in the history of of poker, you know, online and offline. And I'd say, you know, for these, you know, whatever it was, five or six years, do whatever you can, you know, before the golden goose stops laying the eggs. You know, it's just it's the kind of, you know, the Marty McFly finds the almanac, right, in in Back to the Future 2. It's like... That's where I would have wanted to be, you know, from a purely poker standpoint is make yourself, you know, make sure you're in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas for all of these big events. You have all of that knowledge that you have now as a 37 year old and and just get in while the getting is good before everyone starts getting better. And, you know, you're not willing to to put in the the time in the lab necessarily. This is the time and then save that money and, and, and do big things with it. And it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, a cop-out type of an answer, but that's, <laughs> that, is, that is what I would do. Um, um, you know, just being consistent with myself. On right. The, on, the edi- yeah, on the editorial side, it's something very different. So I agree with a lot of what you said, because I played, I was one of the people that were playing mm. during, throughout the golden age of poker. Mm-hmm. And I will say that before the golden age of poker, before the information boom, because there has certainly been an information boom, in the 90s, yeah. in the 80s, the games were likely to be off the charts, super yeah. <laughs> amazingly good because there was so little information that existed. So I do think those games were really good. And as a player today, I do think that if you choose well where you yeah. play, you can play in some really good games as well. So oh, yeah. games, that, g- games that rival the golden age of poker and a very uh, wise uh, acquaintance of mine who I believe it was thir- 2013 or 2014 was the biggest winner in the world um, tracked wow. by high stakes DB for the first six months. He, you know, we were, we were discussing poker in general and strategy and how, you know, the common narrative is that all you had to do is show up in 2004 and everybody just gave <laughs> you money, right? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> gave you money. But like, basically, we were dumb back then too, right? Like we, sure. you know, the, even the pros, they, we knew a lot less. As poker mm-hmm. progresses and involves and grows, there's always money to be made. However, what has changed is the money is made deeper in the decision trees nowadays than it yeah. was back then. Back Absolutely. then, it was made in the earlier, the three bets, the preflop strategy. Um, that was where you could you could maximize your edge and it was relatively easy. Enhance your edge. (laughs) Enhance your edge. There you go. Um, But yeah, it was relatively easy back then. And there's always going to be room to profit in poker. The Mm -hmm. more you grow, it's just deeper in the decision trees is where you're going to be able to, to maximize your wins. So I I will add that um, on top of your answer. I'll agree with that. On the editorial side, can, can I give that answer as yeah, well? Yeah, of course, sort of, of course. Right. So on that, it's it's a funny thing. It's so you never seen the movie Sliding Doors. With, I have. Uh, uh, I think it's with the uh, Hugh Grant and, and Gwyneth Paltrow, and it's this idea of like two alternate histories. What happens if you know you do make that subway train, or if you don't? The doors slide in front of you, or Butterfly if you effect. manage to get it. Yeah. Exactly. Similar type of thing. So on the one hand, you know, I see now at 37, the way things has gone, have gone for me career wise and, you know, everything that happened leading up to this point, making me who I am. And I say, I wouldn't change a thing. Right. And, and, and you know, yeah, you got to accept it and, and embrace it. And it's great. And realize that everything happened in a certain time and, and, and for reasons to make me who I am right now. I would be interested in terms of like a sliding door effect 
to sort of see an alternate history if at age 20 already then I was saying, you know, I would be one of those people who put a, you know, even the blog that I have now, like the blogs then didn't look good, you know, aesthetically speaking. The media then was very different. And, you know, anyone who, you know, it's a matter of, you know, right place, right time to an extent, you know, you happen to be the right age and in Las Vegas, Los Angeles. And if you started a media outlet, then there was also just ridiculous amounts of money to be made and reputation to be earned, you know, in terms of historically, uh, you know, people who've been around for 15, 16, 17 years, they're few and far between that they're still involved now. But just the fact that you were there then just gives you so much more credibility. You know, when Twitter begins, then, you know, immediately you get that many more followers just to start out. It's the, basically the snowball that you have to start out with. You know, I started in 2009 and, you know, in much more in earnest a couple of years later. And then when I became self-employed two and a half years ago, I had to pack that together again, almost, almost parallels the poker thing. Like the earlier you were there, the, the getting was good at, at the time. If I was doing that already at age 20 and had a website and had a domain, which was, you know, now whatever it is, you know, 19 years old instead of 10 years old, something like that, I I would be interested to see. So where would I be career wise and financially speaking and what would my brand be and, you know, how many more people would I know? I'd just be curious to sort of see that alternate history, Uh, not necessarily advice that I would give myself, but, you know, I also realize very, very much that. Even then, you know, you said, you know, what does uh, greatness mean? You have to be fully involved. The reason I wasn't able to is because I was doing all the family stuff. I got married, you know, 17 and a half years ago. I was 20, right? Had I started the career in the professional path, I don't know that that necessarily would have happened when it did because I wouldn't have the headspace and the emotional uh, ability to, you know, share my life with another person and start having kids and all that other sort of stuff. So uh, it's more of like the sliding doors of like, I possibly still would be single if that happened, <laughs> which is not not necessarily a bad thing. You know, but like, oh, don't let your wife listen to this podcast. Room. By the way, this is this is not not for Robbie's wife to listen. He's saying some things <laughs> no, right fine. now. He's saying some things. Um, no, it's all good. I, 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 I would, I, as I said, I wouldn't change anything. I really wouldn't. But just, it's more of just like it'd be just interesting. Said, I, I would probably be single and that would be fine. <laughs> no, I'm saying is that it's okay to be single. You know, there's plenty of yeah, people yeah, who don't yeah. ever want to get married. You know? Oh, of course. But, um, of course. but this it's is... just like looking through that mirror into the alternate dimension, the bizarro world of life. You know, I would probably for sure never have moved to Israel like, or moved back to LA like because that's where the stuff is. All, all that, that sort of alternate history would be sort of interesting for me to sort of see. Absolutely. And my parallel in the poker sense would be that I've always preferred cash games versus tournaments Mm. and cash game Mm -hmm. players tend to go under the radar. Um, they don't get, you know, cash game victories don't get publicized, Mm -hmm. uh, lesser chance of playing interviews or getting interviews, especially, you know, if you're not playing the nosebleeds like Phil Ivey, um, people, you know, cash game players go under the radar. I would like to see had I fully invested myself into tournaments over my Mm. career, what that would have been. Um, right. I am still, you know, we're 30, I'm 35, you're 37. We're not Mm -hmm. super old men. There's still time, still time for me to invest myself in tournaments. And, um, but I I would be curious to see, uh, Mm -hmm. my lifetime results and, you know, the level of, I I guess, influence and authority that I would have been able to generate over the the last, uh, 10 to 15 years. It's, it's the effect of compound interest, you know, in, in a very real sense for both of those things. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So anyway, I, I try one, one of the quirks we'll call it of my personality is um, I'm naturally a, an introverted person. And mm-hmm. so really? states, yeah, I, I know I'm that shocked. Might be Anyone who hosts a podcast, like how is that even possible? Really? Well, good for you. You fooled so, me. So there's, nice bluff. <laughs> there, so intro, introversion is actually, not that you don't want to speak to people or that you don't want to communicate and that sort of thing. It's, you know, one-to-one, this is actually the perfect spot for an introvert because it's a one-to-one conversation about something that I'm passionate about. And that is a perfect setup. Um, get now, get me in front of a room with 150 people. Actually just take me out to dinner with 12 (laughs) 12 people that I don't know. 
and you know <laughs> I'll be completely invisible. Like I, I you know, it's, wow. I, I'll maybe there's one person that I connect with, and then I can have a, a genuine conversation. But I'll never be like the center of attention type person. Interesting. Um, that's that's sort of how my personality works, and so there is some avoidance there as far as you do get attention when you win mm-hmm. a poker tournament. Um, yeah. so maybe mm-hmm. that, maybe that aspect of my personality is one of the reasons wh- why I have enjoyed cash games, that level of anonymity over the years. Um, all right, moving on. What's a project you're working on now that is near and dear to your heart. It's it doesn't have for- to be poker. Um, Oh, well, I mean, I- so for, for a very long time, it actually was this, you know, and I'm not, you know, I don't need to plug, 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 but, you know, this was something I was working on sort of behind the scenes, you know, when he came up to me and Ellie came up to me, you know, when the Hebrew book was released, you know, that was my first really big project uh, in poker. And I was, you know, always having to balance that with, um, you know, the regular stuff that I was doing media wise and, you know, uh, compartmentalize and, and take the time to do that. Once that finished, you know, it sort of morphed into, you know, doing marketing for him and all that stuff, but I wouldn't necessarily call that a project. To be honest with you, I don't really have anything actively that is a a project right now. It's, uh, you know, the content game when you're doing media, you know, basically no one wants to see the same newspaper one day after the next. No one wants to log into CNN and see the same articles over and over. It's just constantly feeding the content beast. And it it very much... I don't want to use the word grind because in a sense that may imply that I don't enjoy it. I do. Uh, I'm not doing, I'm not the only one doing the writing. You know, I have plenty of fantastic contributors, but I function as the uh, editor for my site. So that really is a first and foremost and, and always at the front of my mind, ongoing project for lack of a better word. There is one project that's, I want to say, on the, not on the back burner because I really, really do want to do it. It's, uh, I believe I have my own poker book in me just so many stories, uh, again, storyteller that I could tell over the last few years that I've been involved, you know, the travels that I've done around the world and tournaments that I've covered and things that have happened to me individually. Um, And again, that tied into my own personal background as someone who's Orthodox Jewish and, and living in Israel and a family man. That's just sort of my perspective on it. I think that, you know, I could weave a nice yarn and I think that, the stories would be interesting to people. Um, but it, I, I can't unfortunately say, you know, maybe it's a little failure on my part for now that I'm not actively working on it. It's just, there's, you got to keep on hitting those base hits, uh, you know, and, and getting on base with the, you know, with the podcasts, with the uh, other forms of media that I'm constantly producing. So something I need to do, something I want to do. Um, and uh, I've told myself I've done it. You know, I, I have some building blocks in place, like a table of contents. And, and I know more or less the stories I want to tell. It's just I got to get around to it. So uh, can't reveal the title, but, uh, you know, hopefully when it does come a year, two, three years, whatever it is from now, it's uh, another great marketing tool to have. Hey, here's my book. I'm an author. Do we <laughs> have like a, like a Daniel Negreanu bat signal that we can... <laughs> we can- <laughs> We can flare up and get him on your ass. Spend another two hours to get this book done. Um, paging Daniel Negreanu. Contact oh, Robbie boy. and make him write this book. No more procrastinating. Um, uh, I, I, would so. be, I will say that there's a difference between procrastinating and taking one's foot off the gas pedal. And, uh, and I did think it's an important distinction to make because not that I'm not as hungry as I used to be, but... You know, I, I feel now that, you know, this media gig that I'm doing is, is the full-time job and I have the responsibility to sort of support, you know, my family uh, from it, I need to be focused on that. I need to, just in, as a matter of circumstance, whereas up until two and a half years ago, it was always the side gig and I quote unquote had more drive because I was staying up till ridiculous hours because I only got home at 6.30 and then had dinner and then the kids, all that stuff. And, you know, between midnight and two was the only time I had. So now it's just, you know, a matter of like, you know, kind of kicking myself a little bit and making sure that, okay, it is 10 o'clock. It is 11 o'clock at night, you know, get a chapter written, do it, you know? So uh, I'm, I don't, I don't want to say I'm lazy. It's just after a whole day of doing that, you know, it, it, it's hard to consider it something different. It's like continuing to work for another two hours. So, so- I will say that like when something's inside of you, it is good thing to get it out. It means that you want to, that your, your yeah. body's telling you, Hey, get this out of me. And 
Neil Gaiman. I listened to an interview with Neil Gaiman, um, mm-hmm. who has you know written Neverwhere, American Gods, Good Omens, just a bunch of really incredible, amazing books. I love Neil Gaiman, and uh, I have you know I have this journal right here because of Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. And when he was writing Coraline, he had a lot of things going on. And it was something that he wanted to, he wanted to write a kid's book for his daughters and mm. he didn't have enough time or he had so many projects that he was juggling. And right. he decided that instead of reading a few pages every night before bed, he would write a line. He wrote one line a night right before bed. And that just, really? that, wow. that just created momentum and it built up, built up. And then after six months, you know, he said he had some chapters going and that's incredible. And then like that, just that small little one line a day added up over time. And then eventually, you know, <laughs> he, he finished Coraline and it got made into a movie and it's this massive success thing. And it wouldn't wow. have happened had he not just written that one line. So you're so absolutely right. I'm, I'm going to yeah, challenge you. Me- you got yes. time. You got time to write one line of your book. And in six months, you'll be further along than you think Damn right and, and maybe you write a paragraph right maybe yeah. you write three lines a night um but just making that a practice and getting in there because i want you to Thank write you. your book i want to promote your book um <laughs> i would be interested in reading your book i love poker stories so there you go. Thank you. Right. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm uh, dropping knowledge bombs, but that's a, a, a real good one. Thank you. I, I really do mean that. And uh, I, I hope, I hope I will act on that. Uh, it's my pleasure, man. And, you know, worst comes to worse, I'll get in touch with Daniel Negreanu and he'll crack, <laughs> crack the whip, make you do it. Yeah. Um, so final question, uh, sure. where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the interwebs? Sure. So uh, the main uh, place where I'm you know, very publicly active is on Twitter. It's at CardPlayerLife. Um, that's just you know, where I can directly engage with you guys. Uh, I have no problem giving out my email address. It's Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E, at CardPlayerLifestyle.com. If there's anything you're interested in in terms of stuff that I write, again, on my website, CardPlayerLifestyle.com. I'm always you know, actively pushing out you know, new content that way. I have a podcast. It's uh, called The Top Pair home game poker podcast that's uh, syndicated on the poker news podcast network. You can listen to me there. Facebook, you know, there aren't that many Robbie Straczynski's out there. So R-O-B-B-I-E-S-T-R-A-Z-Y-N-S-K-I and always happen to make new friends and uh, broaden my horizons. And uh, hopefully once in a while, you know, certainly the World Series of Poker, if I'm there, feel free to, you know, if you see me, say hello, Phil Helmuth style. <laughs> and uh, anywhere else in the world, you know, I always uh, announce on social media where it is that I'm going next, uh, you know, whatever next tournament I'm covering. So, uh, you know, that that's basically it. Sir, if I'm at the WSOP next year, hope to meet up, have a, yes. have a beer or a glass of water. I don't really drink beer, but... Um, Same here, Diet Coke, man. Way to go. Right. Water for me. I don't drink Diet Coke okay. either. But okay. just, just, or maybe a very, very hibiscus from Starbucks. That works for me too. Uh, all right, man. I, I love the conversation. Can't wait to share it and promote it with the world. Thank you for coming on. It was very, very much a pleasure. Well, this is so enjoyable. I mean, there's nothing more fun than talking about oneself, but much more fun <laughs> when someone's actually taking an interest. I really appreciate it. And it's uh, really, really, really great, Brett. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I also wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new platform where the games are safe and secure and the action is amazing, head to enhanceyouredge.com PKC to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash PKC. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.